Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and encouragement to your life. For a list of messages, to stream live services, and for updates about events and more info, visit lifechurchroa.org. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 and just kind of camp out there. We've been talking about overcoming things that, that distract us or, or keep us from understanding and living out the true meaning of Christmas, right? So uh, the first thing we talked about was we talked about Joseph and the disappointment that he faced and how he overcame that disappointment. Now, for Joseph, that entailed walking with compassion, walking with courage, walking with commitment, and walking ultimately with Christ. This is a man who decided in the moment to do the right thing, decided to be obedient, decided to raise up a a child that wasn't even his. In a a world that looked at that and thought, man, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. But he overcame the disappointment of what he expected life to be and understood that the reality of life with Jesus was so much better. Amen? Some Some of us need to overcome disappointment during this season. Some of us need to overcome things that keep us away from Christ. Then last week we talked about overcoming distraction. Anybody distracted a little bit this week? I've been, as soon as I start talking about something, the enemy starts attacking, okay? And I've been distracted, right? I'm looking under the tree and thinking, man, I got some presents to wrap. Some of us still don't even have decorations, right? We spent like three weeks with our tree up, but not decorated. Anybody, can I get, is anybody else? Okay, I just want to make sure that I'm not the only one. We said we got to overcome distractions, and we looked at the shepherds here. The shepherds who took care of the temple sheep let nothing distract them from getting to Christ. They were, they seriously surrendered, sincerely sought out Christ, and sacrificially shared Jesus with those that they came in contact with. And today, we're going to take a look at some guys who actually did miss the first Christmas. Distance kept them from the first Christmas. There's all kinds of people who missed it, right? Bethlehem missed it because they were dozy. Herod missed it because he was disturbed. If you don't believe me, go look at the history books. King Herod, by the time Jesus was born, he was extremely messed up. Everything that was happening, he killed some of his own family. The Roman emperor said it was better to be his pig than to be his son. You think about that? At least if you're Herod's pig, you know what's coming. If you're his son, you better watch out. By this time, he was extremely disturbed. He was messed up disoriented, both mentally, spiritually, physically, everything about him. He thought everyone was out to get him. And today he's going to meet a delegation of people who are coming to bring honor to the new king of the Jews. Now, 
How would you like it if somebody walked in your house and was like, hi, it's nice to meet you. I'd like to meet the new owner of your home. <laughs> and you're like, I didn't sell my house. Or you walked into your job and somebody walked in and said, hey, I'd like, I would like to meet the new, whatever your job title is. You'd be like, well, I didn't know they were getting rid of me. I didn't know that was gonna happen. What do you mean the new whatever your job title is? See, these guys are going to walk in and they're going to say to Herod, hey, we're here to bring honor to the king of the Jews. We want to worship him. We've seen the sign. We know that he's here. Herod says, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean the king of the Jews? In his mind, he's thinking, I got to kill somebody. I got to knock off somebody because somebody is threatening my throne. Somebody's threatening everything that's happening. And, and so we're going to see Herod in this disorienting, disturbed state. But we're going to meet some guys who didn't let distance, not distance from, of time, not, dist, not physical distance, not relational difference, distance, keep them away from Jesus. You ever felt like somewhere was too far? To go. You ever felt like somebody said, hey, let's, let's go eat dinner and the restaurant's 30 minutes away and you feel like a 10-minute restaurant is a little better? Your insides are eating themselves and they trying to drive 20 minutes, 30 minutes? You see, sometimes distance keeps us from Jesus, especially in the holiday season. The further we've gotten away from the birth of Christ, I feel like the further we've gotten away from the reason we celebrate Christmas. And I find myself, even in that sometimes, and listen, I'm a pastor. I dedicated my life to preaching this gospel. But I find my own self distanced at times from what Christ, from what is really supposed to be happening in this season. I love giving gifts. I like getting gifts. I love the, the, the movies, and the, I told you last week, the Hallmark movies. I love all of it. But at the end of the day, I can't let anything distance me from the reason we celebrate. And if I'm living at arm's length, I'm never going to understand what the shepherds experienced in the nativity, what Joseph experienced in raising Jesus and being there with him, what the wise men are going to experience. They missed the nativity. They missed the night of Jesus' birth because of distance. But they didn't miss worshiping him because of the distance. Sometimes we got to stop holding Jesus at arm's length, put our arms down, walk towards him and worship him. And so today, this is, a, this is a, just a little bit of context of where we're going. So Matthew chapter 2 we're going to start reading, and then I'm going to stop about every two verses and talk, okay? So you're going to just need to keep your place, all right? Just one of those days. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
Now, Bethlehem was the ancestral home of David, the great king of Israel and founder of this royal dynasty. Bethlehem was not a large or significant town, even though it was the home of King David, right? King Herod, who was king of the Jews, but he was only king because the Romans allowed him to be. They placed him ruler over the Jews. He wasn't king because people loved him or because he deserved to be king. He wasn't king because he was even a Jew. King Herod wasn't even a Jew. Yet, he is given the opportunity to rule over them. And, and, and look, they're a little bit off here. Okay, because sometimes the Jews really loved him. He did a lot of really good. He had a lot of great building projects. The temple was restored under him. Took him forever, but he did it. There's a lot of things that are happening under his rule, but, but also he knew exactly what to say to the Romans to stay in good graces with them, which also upset the Jews. It upset the people that he was ruling. Now, this is important because if we're not careful, we think of Herod as one of them, and Herod's not one of them. He was married into and made king. He doesn't care about the people. He cares about himself. He didn't come humbly He came saying, look at me. He does everything he can in his power to make sure people remember him. Overshadowing Bethlehem is one of his greatest building projects, the Herodium. Can you imagine building a house and naming it after yourself? Right? And in that shadow, the real king of the Jews is born. (laughs) King Herod was known as Herod the Great. He was wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal, and expected loyalty. He was an excellent administrator and clever enough to remain in the good graces of many Roman emperors. His famine relief was superb. His building projects, including the temple, were admired even by his foes. But he loved power. He inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people and resented the fact that many Jews considered him a usurper. In his last years, he was sick and paranoid, so much so that he turned to cruelty and in fits of rage and jealousy killed a lot of people close to him. So these wise men or magi were looking for the new king of the Jews. They were looking for Jesus. And now we tend to think that there were only three of these and they they were old, long-bearded men and there was only three of them. But we get that only because they brought three gifts. This probably was a delegation of people. Okay? This wasn't a small group of people. This was probably a large group of people. They had traveled a long way. They didn't make it quite on time. It got me thinking, why were these guys even looking for a king of the Jews? What was it that they knew about 
that made them even look for Jesus. And I got to doing a little bit of study, and I'm going to geek out on you for just a second because this is a dorky Bible fact that I have recently found out, and I love stuff like this. And you just happen to be sitting here today, and I have the microphone, so you get it. If you go all the way back to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 48, it says that Daniel was made chief over wise men in Babylon. All the way back to the exile of the Jews to Babylon, Daniel, right? This is the same Daniel that gets thrown in the lion's den, okay? You know, everybody know what I'm talking about? Sunday school Daniel? Same Daniel, right? But early on... He was placed over the wise men of Babylon. Now, Babylon gets taken over by Persia. Persia gets taken over, taken, and so on and so forth. But the wise men kind of stick around, right? They kind of hang around. While Daniel was chief of the wise men, do you know what Daniel was doing? He was telling them about his God. He was telling them what was going to happen. He, I'm positive, told them the prophecy that a Messiah was coming. Can you imagine... For that many, God's own people had quit watching for the Messiah. Yet these magi respected Daniel and his legacy so much that they continually watched and waited for the Messiah. This was the culmination of years of passing down from generation to generation to generation to generation Daniel's words. And how great Daniel's God was in Babylon. Remember, what ha- remember all the stuff that happened in Babylon? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. And a thousand other things that God did for his people while they were in Babylon. And they remembered. You see, these wise men understood something that even God's own people didn't. And they kept waiting and watching. It's likely that they had even considered maybe other people other, at other times had been the Messiah. I read one commentator who said they may have even looked at guys like Alexander the Great. They may have even looked at guys like Herod himself. And thought maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one that's going to rise up. But they didn't quite fit the bill. So they kept watching. They kept waiting. They knew about the promise of the Messiah and they were willing to take the time to wait and watch. So these magi recognized an astronomical phenomenon. And they saw it as a sign that the Messiah was here. They'd been expecting this event, watching and waiting for years. They expected that the leaders and the people of the capital city, the Jews, would be even more interested. Can you imagine sewing up in Jerusalem and nobody knowing what they're talking about? They've spent years passing down this story. And now the star has appeared. They know that's the sign. They travel towards Jerusalem. They get into Jerusalem expecting fanfare, expecting there to be excitement. And not even Herod knows what they're talking about. I wonder how many times we are similar to Jerusalem. We come in on Christmas and we sing songs like Behold and Rejoice (laughs) like we did today. But we're not really 
beholding or rejoicing. Just quiet. Distracted. Disappointed. Distanced. Maybe disturbed. They get into Jerusalem and they make their way logically to where royalty is born, the palace. It makes sense that they go to Jerusalem first. It makes sense that they go to Herod. They assume the leaders of the Jews would be aware and excited about the birth of their Messiah. The wise men are about to find out that this wasn't the case at all. Let's keep reading verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone. Let me say everyone. Everyone in Jerusalem. Herod was constantly on guard against threats to his rule, especially from his own family. He assassinated many family members that he suspected of disloyalty. His being troubled is completely in character of who he is. Herod wanted to be accepted by the Jews, but he wasn't a Jew. He was an Edomite that Rome had placed over the Jews. However, the Jews' hate, the hatred of him was tempered by all the good things that he had done. And the fact that all Jerusalem was troubled along with Herod is significant. This was due either to the fact that the people of Jerusalem feared what sort of paranoid outburst Herod might have, or, or maybe... They were just scared about the size of this delegation that had come. It could be either one. My guess is they were scared about the outburst that Herod was going to have. And if you know your Bible even just a little bit, you know Herod has quite the outburst. And when he, when he finds out, we're going to skip ahead a little bit, and, I'm, and you can read it for yourself because we're not going to get there today. But when he finds out that the wise men aren't coming back, the magi aren't coming back to tell him what they found, he decides that he's just going to have every child, every male child under two, two and under killed in Bethlehem in the surrounding area. Dudes disturbed. Guys crazy. Verse 4 says, he called a meeting of the, <clears throat> excuse me, of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judah, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So Herod calls together the religious leaders, tells them what's going on. And this is going to be the first of many run-ins that Jesus has with these religious leaders. They're not going to like him from this moment all the way to the time they put him on the cross. They knew the prophecy, but they weren't watching and waiting like the Magi were. They weren't watching and waiting for a promised Messiah. They'd given up. They understood the biblical information correctly, but failed to apply it to their lives. If you don't see how quickly we can become like the religious rulers in this season, you're missing everything that's happening all around us. 
It is so quick for us to move from knowing what the Bible says to not applying it to our lives. Knowing that Jesus came and died for our sins, but not living like we're supposed to live. Knowing that he's coming back, but not caring. And on the other side, you have these wise men who truly began to, weren't even God's people at the time, weren't even, weren't even Jews, but understood something about the God that they were seeking. And they waited and they watched with great anticipation and hope. These religious leaders had distanced themselves from God. They were supposed to be the mouthpieces of God. They were supposed to be the hands and feet of God. Yet they lived like this, pushing God away, kind of backing up ever so slightly every step of the way. Verse 7 goes on, it says, Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So Herod calls the wise men, and he questions them about the star and when it appeared. It was likely within the last year, because later Herod commands that all boys two and younger are killed in the area. The Magi had been on this journey for a while. The star appeared and they were like, it's time to go. They start packing up. They get ready to move. They get ready to walk. They get ready to be on a journey. And it wasn't going to be an easy journey. This was a long way away. And they didn't really know where they were going. I remember a day before GPS was a big deal in vehicles. Anybody else remember? And you had a map, an atlas, but half the people in your car couldn't read it. And you try, you trying to drive, and they're telling you left, and it's supposed to be right, and you know it, but if you question it, God help you. Right? My wife's up here upset because she thinks I'm talking about her. If you're, if you're convicted, it's Jesus, not me. I'm kidding. I remember moving from an atlas to MapQuest, and you printed out the MapQuest. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody else ever do that? 6,500 directions to get you from point A to point B. And God help you if there's a detour because you'll never figure it out because you got rid of your atlas because you have map quests. I know. I got stuck on the Blue Ridge Parkway before I knew what the Blue Ridge Parkway was. Anybody, I'm going to tell y'all, you, if, mm, Blue Ridge Parkway will make you feel like you're lost in the middle of nowhere. Okay, I was trying to go to Waynesboro, and they were like, nope, not today. Never did make it. I turned around and went home. I'm not kidding. I was supposed to go to a grocery store and work, and I got lost on Blue Ridge Parkway, turned around, and went home. I lived in West Virginia at the time. I was two and a half hours away. It's like, nope. I know how to get out of here, but I don't know where I'm going. These guys didn't have MapQuest. They had a star. They were looking at a star. And they were just following it. Hey, let's go. We've been waiting. We've been watching, and now the star's here. Let's start walking. There was a distance between them and the Messiah, and they're going to do what they can to close the distance. I want you to understand, you and I have a responsibility to close the distance between us and the Messiah. 
We have a responsibility to walk. We have a responsibility to move towards him. We have a responsibility to know him, to get to know him through his word and through, his, through worshiping him, through being with his people, through coming to church, through all of the things that we do. We wait, we watch, and we walk. These wise men understood something that God's own people didn't get. You would have thought there would have been a stream of people, a line of people from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, ready to bring honor to the king, and there was no one. It was quiet. Everyone around Jesus, drowsy, not paying attention to what's going on, just ready to go to sleep, except for these guys. Herod heard a good Bible story about the birthplace of the Messiah, and instead of walking, he started scheming. He told the wise man he wanted to worship Jesus, but the reality was he wanted to kill him. Herod was disturbed. This guy was crazy. He was going to stop at nothing to make sure that his legacy was protected. Verse 9 says, After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. So undoubtedly, somewhere along the way, the star kind of just set maybe over Jerusalem or disappeared, but it appeared again, and they, they took off again. They waited, they watched, and they kept walking. They spent time witnessing about this birth of the new king at the, in the capital of, the, of God's people. It says, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. I wonder if the, the uh, shepherds might have been a little jealous when they heard this story because they had to go from house to house to figure out where Jesus was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Moms, did you get a useless gift when your kids were little? We got some useless gifts, things that, that uh, weren't really helpful in, in, uh, in having a child or a baby. And these guys, uh, for whatever reason, decided it was a good idea to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And while I joke a little bit about that, the reality is they didn't even know what they were doing. They were preparing Jesus for what was going to be his entire life. They financed a trip to Egypt that Joseph is going to have to take his family on. They prepared Jesus for the hardship even of his death with the oils and the things that are going to happen. Jesus didn't know what was going on. He was a baby. They didn't know what was happening, but God always knows. He's always leading and guiding him. When we worship him, when we walk with him, when we witness the goodness and the greatness of God, He'll lead us and guide us. There's significance in these gifts. After they left Herod, the star continues to be their guide. They get to the house, and the first thing they do is worship Jesus. 
It was common, especially in the East, that one would never appear before royalty or a person of importance without bringing gifts. This is where we get the idea that there were only three wise men because there were three gifts. And even so, there were likely more wise men. These gifts would come in handy soon. Joseph is going to, they're pretty poor. Joseph's going to put it to good use when he runs and escapes to Egypt from Herod. This crazy scheme to kill Jesus. We see three different responses in this story to Jesus. Herod displayed an open hatred and hostility toward Jesus. The religious leaders were indifferent towards Jesus, all the while trying to retain their religious respectability, walking around with their heads up in the air like they weren't looking for a Messiah. Because a Messiah threatened their way of life. A Messiah coming as a baby didn't make any sense. Yet the wise men still sought out Jesus and worshipped him, even at great cost. Their worship is also shown in obedience. They're obedient to a heavenly dream, and they leave without serving as Herod's informants. There are five things that the wise men, five lessons that they teach us about closing the distance between us and God. The first is this, wise men wait. You've heard all five of them through the message already. If you've been taking notes, you might already have them. Wise men wait. Psalms 27, 14 says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yet, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. It had been years And they waited. It had been lifetimes. And they waited. But time and the distance that it brought could not keep them away from Jesus, the Messiah. The second thing is that wise men watch. Matthew 24, 42 says, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know the day your Lord is coming. Visual distance couldn't keep them away. They couldn't see Bethlehem. They couldn't see the king. For years they couldn't see the star, yet they still waited and they kept watching. And because they watched when the star appeared, they could move. They could do what they were supposed to do. See, the wise men teach us that it isn't just about going on with life and waiting for something to happen. We've been told to watch for Jesus. He's coming back. And in this season, in this season, if we're not careful, we're watching everything but the reason. Visual distance. And not keep them away. They watched. The third thing is this, wise men walk. Colossians 2.6 says, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Or as the, the King James or New King James Version says, so walk in him. Physical distance couldn't keep them away. I love this because physical distance keeps me away from a lot of things. Right? I'm a homebody. Anybody else a homebody? 
And so somebody's like, hey, let's take a trip. And I'm like, yeah. I might be excited for it six months away from it. But when the day comes, I'm going to be like, ah, I wish I hadn't said yes. I wish I hadn't said yes, man. I just want to stay home and sleep. I don't want to drive for six hours. We drove, we drove to Minnesota with three kids in a, in a car. It was insane. They did amazing. I did horrible. I was driving saying, are we there yet? <laughs> okay. Now, I remember about halfway through that trip thinking, you know, we could have left the kids at home, flew, been there, enjoyed the time there, and flew home and been back in no time. You can't afford to fly five people anywhere. <laughs> I'm like that. I'm glad we went. Once we got home, I was glad we went. I had fun while I was there. But that's not who I am. These guys pack up and they start moving towards something they don't even know where they're going. No amount of distance. They could have had to walk their entire lives. And I'm thinking just going home, and I live over there about five minutes, five minute, not even a five-minute walk. I'm thinking, nah, I don't really want to do that today. I drive here. Think about that. I put, I put a half a mile on my vehicle every day. And half of that's going around the parking lot. <laughs> Wise men walk. We got to start moving towards Jesus, walking with him. This holiday season, I'm t- I know, I get it. I'm tired. I'm weary. We don't use that word. Paul said that earlier. I don't, but I'm weary. The season just wears me out. And it's hard to get up and walk with Jesus when we're tired. It's a trick of the enemy. He can get you to sit still. He can stop the spread of the gospel. If he can get you to quit watching for Jesus, he can get you to watch other stuff. If he can get you to quit waiting, you'll be impatient for everything. The fourth thing is this, wise men witness, Acts, Acts twenty two fifteen says, for you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you've seen and heard. Mental distance cannot keep, did not keep them away and cannot keep us away. You're sitting in church right now. Christmas day's coming. And I wonder if on that day, sitting around the tree, watching people or sitting in the living room, watching people open up presents, if we're gonna be, Mentally distanced from Jesus. I don't know what they talked about on this trip, but I guarantee you they talked about what this king might be like. And they walked in a house and saw a little boy. And they didn't even hesitate to bow down and worship. Mental distance can't keep us away from Jesus in this season. And finally, we understand, we learn that wise men worship. Philippians 4, 9 through 10 says, Therefore God elevated him to the place, him being Jesus, of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Wise men understand that relational distance 
can't keep them away. Relationships take work and they're hard. And the reality is that the more we worship Jesus, the closer we get to him. When we sing songs like Behold and Rejoice in the song we sang earlier, we sing those words and they become worship to us and not just words that we're singing. We develop a relationship with him. Wise men will not let anything distance them from Jesus. And just in case you're feeling left out, wise women wouldn't either. I wonder this holiday season, I wonder if during this Christmas time, There aren't some people in the room that have distanced themselves from Jesus. Maybe you don't know him at all because you were hurt years ago in a church and you've just decided that you want nothing to do with him or his people. Maybe you know him, maybe you're saved, but just the craziness of work, maybe the, the, the diagnosis, maybe the it could be any, any number of things that just cause you to step back and say, you know what, I need a break from all this. Jesus is just begging you, come closer, come near. Don't distance yourself from me. He gave up his life. Stepped out of heaven, laid in a manger as a baby, lived the life that he lived, and then went to a cross. And we spend this season, this moment, celebrating and honoring him stepping out of heaven for us. It's not a season. It's not a time to distance ourselves. It's a time to use wisdom and draw close. Draw your families close. Draw your kids close. Find ways to share Jesus. Wise men witness, wise men worship. Spend time seeking him and waiting for him in this season, watching. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes all across the room. We're gonna close out similar to how we did last week. We're gonna sing a worship song together, but I want to challenge you, if you've been, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now, because maybe you've kept Jesus at a distance in one of these ways. Maybe you've kept him at a distance physically. Maybe you've kept him at a distance because over time it's just easier to push things away. Maybe you've kept him at a distance because you're tired. It's hard to move towards him. It takes effort. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe this season brings with it a distance in and of itself. I wonder today if we could take 
a cue from the wise men. And all across the room, whether, whether we're at a great distance or we've been inching closer and closer each if we could just walk towards him. If we could just be a witness this season, if we could just worship him today. As has been stated multiple times today, the altars are open. I believe the altars are a place of change, not because it's something special, not a special place, but because you move towards taking a step towards God doing something. So as the team leads us in a song, I want to ask you to stand. We're going to enter back into worship before, the, before this service closes. And if you feel like, hey, you know what? I've distanced myself and I just want, I want to be like the wise men. I want to get a little closer. I want to encourage you to step out from where you're at. Step out from where you're at. Take a step towards him today. Spend some time, you and him at the altars. Waiting, watching, walking, witnessing and worshiping. The king who stepped off his throne, who came out of heaven and was laid in a manger only to be lifted up again on a cross and die for you and me. So if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to step out. If, if you don't want to step out, that's between you and God. Worship with us this morning. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Don't forget to visit us at LifeChurchROA on Instagram and Facebook for updates, service times, and ways to get involved. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we would love to partner with you on your next steps. Visit LifeChurchROA.org slash Jesus to learn more. We love you and we can't wait to see you soon.